Hello, and welcome to another instalment of the Analytics FC podcast. I'm Jeremy Steele. This week, myself and Bobby Gardner were invited to West Ham United's Rush Green Training Complex in East London to speak with the club's head of technical analysis, Rory Campbell. We tried to keep our game faces on as Slaven Bilic came over to say hello, but we just about got around to interviewing Rory about all things analytics, scouting and recruitment. We hope you enjoy the interview. So without further ado, here it is. Rory, talk to us about your background. How did you get into the game? What was your route? Your route My route was, it more, I would say it more came out of passion than anything else, but I played to a decent level, you know, pretty good academy level, uh, but realised I wasn't going to make it. Went to university, and at university I was playing poker pretty much full-time, not doing much studying. And then when I got to the end of my degree, I was just carrying on playing poker. And eventually I realised that that wasn't going to be what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. And football was the only other passion I really had. And then I just thought, you know, if there was going to be an avenue that I was going to move into the game, what would it be? It would probably be something more analytical than traditional coaching, because that's where my skill set and educational background had left me. But at the same time, I did everything that every other person who wasn't a player has to do to get into the game. Volunteered coaching, volunteered shadowing people, did a master's in the business of football, etc., etc. Every other small step that needed to be taken. And at the same time, I carried on playing poker. And then I worked at Barnet for a bit and at Cardiff for a bit. And after leaving Cardiff, when Malcolm Mackay got sacked, anyway, after I left Cardiff, um, I wasn't in the game and decided to, alongside a, lot, a number of other poker players, uh, we ran a sports football betting syndicate um, that was good and very well. I'd say it was not as close to what's going on with the top syndicates at the moment. We did, we did some very good stuff and did some very good work. And then out of combination of boredom and thinking the markets were just getting tighter and tighter and harder to beat. Uh, Sam Allardyce rang me and said this job at West Ham was available and I went in and presented some of the stuff based around that and here we are. That was January 2015. February 2015 and I started at the end of that season. Right, okay. So I could carry on running the syndicate until the end of then and then he left after a week and then slapping in. So in terms of starting the role that you're in now, sort of within a club, how much of your... Um, knowledge and that kind of foundation knowledge of, of betting and poker and the, the syndicate how much does that come into play in terms of the work that you do here I mean I think the first thing I would say about poker is I think is a, if someone asked me to define what what is how you, what makes a good poker player I'd say all poker is is making decisions under pressure using imperfect information and you could basically apply that to any job right you know you're under a certain amount of pressure no job do you have perfect information if you're having to predict something about the future. So that mindset of knowing that that's what you've got to do has probably helped. In terms of the actual day-to-day stuff and evaluating players, yes, there's a lot of similarities between what we do on the betting side. Um, but the difference is that I'm now in a place where, at the betting side, that was the complete driving force behind what you're analysing, whereas now I'm just a tiny part of what's going on in evaluating players and performance. So that takes us quite, quite smoothly into a question from uh, Dougie Wright, um, who we asked the guys on our Twitter account to, yeah. uh, our Twitter followers to come up with questions for you. Um, and, uh, and this question was, was sort of based around that, really, which is, he said, how much do you gamble with recruitment? So how much certainty do you have that a player is going to be successful before you recommend it? I mean, I think 
Transfers and decisions over transfers is just the business of risk management, basically. Um, you're never going to be 100% sure, and you want to minimise that risk as much as possible, get as close to 100% as you can. I would like to think that if I'm sure about a player, we are very, very close to 100%. Um, but there's always an element of gambling, and some clubs will do a lot more gambling than others, and it basically depends on what goes on at your club, the attention to detail that uh, is going on at the club, and ultimately how much of the detail is informing the key decision makers. In your role, are you balancing risk and payoff as well? So the risk is relative to how much the player would cost, what their wages would be. You might be willing to take more of a risk on a cheap... Um, yeah, 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 of course. Cheap, younger player where, yeah. one, the there's a lot more unknowns about his past and future performance. Uh, yes, um, you know, at the same time, though, I think it's very hard for a lot of people in jobs like mine at football clubs... You know, it's almost like we're just doing work supplementary to what actually is driving the valuation of players. So, for people like me, sometimes they say, "Should we sign this player?" And it's almost irrelevant of what they cost because it's not my budget. Obviously, I want to get value for money, yeah. but ultimately, if they're going to spend twenty million on a striker, I just, I just want to sign the best striker and get twenty million. I think if you should be valued for twelve, but they actually end up paying twenty, well. As long as it's good, then. But no one mind. <laughs> okay. Um, in terms of uh, the managers you've got, you, you mentioned that Adelaide's brought you on board, um, obviously working under Slavin now. Mm-hmm. Um, how much did they buy into data? So, I mean, it'd be interesting to get an insight into both both those managers, but uh, your experience. So, I'd say both actually quite similar in the sense that they just they just appreciate information. So, does that mean they're data people? No. But if you can prove something works and it logically works to both of them, then they won't have a problem with listening to new pieces of information or new people. Um, obviously, the proving it and demonstrating the logic and how you communicate that is the challenging bit, and that definitely varies. Varies manager to manager, coach to coach, director of football to director of football, owner to owner. But I would say they're, you know, I wouldn't, if someone said is Slavin a data person, I wouldn't say he's a data person, I'd say he's definitely an information person. And, okay. You know, it's so just, you know, maybe there, and sometimes, you know, look, I generally take the approach that all information is good information, but, you know, maybe sometimes it is difficult when someone's an information person and you're just a small part of what's going into them because they've just got so much else there that might, in the end, outweigh what you're saying. So in that sense then, I mean... We got a question from another one of our followers, Ed Ames, who who asks what what processes do you have in place then to uh, to essentially bridge the gap between yeah. analytics analytics people, should we say, and non analytics people? How do you get that information across? Is there anything sort of in place there, or is that basically your role in terms of? Yeah, I'd say this. I'd say that's my role. Um, I'd say you know I wouldn't call it a process, but I'd say the. Communication of the information is by far and away the most important thing. You know, I, I think the analytics world, I think whilst we probably barely touch, barely scratch the surface of the level of detail we can go to with analytics, I always feel that the actual level of analytical work that I see on Twitter or that I speak to people in that world are doing is, even now, really, really good. Some of it's phenomenal, but it's more important right now that, that world is getting the communication right into football. You know, eventually, if we get to a point where 
the governance structure of clubs and the governance structure of the performance departments of clubs are different and they're a lot more analytics driven, then that might not be the case. But right now, that is the biggest challenge. So I wouldn't call it a process. I would just say that the communication of the information is very, very important. I think that is very person dependent. So that would change from manager to manager. And when you say it changes from manager to manager, do you think that's been a problem with analytics and the way potentially... I think it's been, the, a, think it's been a problem for analytics. Yeah, it's, not, it's not analytics' fault, the analytics world's fault, but it's just, you know, it's very difficult. You get into a set pattern of working and this is what you produce and this is what you show people you produce and then someone else comes in and it's, you've got to reframe it. And often, the first thing you do around it, the first present thing you present to them or the first recommendation you make, whatever, that's got to work. If yeah. it doesn't, you know, if that first way you communicate information, if they're just not buying it, then it's difficult to go back to the drawing board and do it again. And that's probably clubs have been, well, clubs and analysts have been littered with examples of that in the last is it, five years. Is it the responsibility of the analyst or is it the responsibility of the, uh, let's say, football people, for want of a, a better term, in terms of the language that's used? So, for example, I mean, the, the way that you speak is very kind of football savvy. It's it's you can see yeah. that you'll, you'll easily be able to communicate with with Slavin about yeah. things in a football way using yeah. football terminology. Yeah. Do you think there's been an issue where analysts haven't been able to do that, and is that a problem for analytics to change the way that they communicate, or is it something that football needs to catch up with? Well, a bit of both. I'd say it should be something that football has to catch up with. But I think right now the place the game is in, the place the industry's in, we've almost got to accept that. That's not just that's just not going to happen right away. So to get analytics in, I think the analysts probably do have to accept that the language that is used has to be more shaped towards football. I mean, at the end of the day, is it the football's personal responsibility or is it the analyst's responsibility? It's both. But the structure of the club is that the analyst works for this person. So normally, that means in any organisation that this person is the one to be forced to be doing the changing. Now, I 100% would agree with every other analyst that say that's probably not right but that is just the fact of the way it is at the moment. And I would like to think further down the line we can have a more strategic conversation about how that changes, but right now I think that's just the fact. So one of the more tedious debates in analytics is around the name expected goals. Yeah. Because it's counterintuitive. You have Richard Keyes on a panel thinking that it means the, the minute that a player scores it or something yeah, like yeah. that. Um, when you're using expected goals models, do you use the name expected goals or do you translate it into what we prefer to do is say chance quality, stuff like that? Yeah, do you do, I that? do that? Yeah, I don't use expected goals very often. Yeah, and I don't, um, I, I tend not to show things about, you know, decimal, with decimal places and stuff and all that kind of stuff. You know, it's just very, but it's the thing, you know, sometimes very, very, you can have loads and loads and loads of detail at work about why a player's a good signing or why a player's a bad signing, but it might just be something like showing Slaman where Dimitri Payet ranks in the number of through balls in Europe. Now, obviously, that's not the work that we've done that's gone into why Dimitri Payet's a good player. It may have formed part of it, but it's just knowing that case by case of like what's going to be the thing that's going to get through to him and make a difference, and it might be that. And then sometimes you might say something can, but it doesn't work and it's gone nowhere, and that has something that has happened to me quite a lot recently. Um, it's just, you know, I know this is, it feels like a bit of a crap answer because, you know, I'm not really saying what the answer is, but it's that case-by-case -case basis and the communication is just so, so important. And I think picking up on little things like probably not saying expected goals or probably not showing an Excel spreadsheet with a thousand cells in it, you know, stuff like that is, that's probably common sense. But then going past that, I think 
it is about building relationship and how you do that depends on the people involved. I'd say what expected goals and say or expected anything. What I have, what I would say, and this is a conversation I would kind of frame, right, would be something like, uh, if he keeps getting that quality of chances, eventually his goal record is going to improve, or vice versa. If he keeps putting himself in those positions with that quality, you know, with that quality of pass going into here or into there, we will score more goals. Something like that would be an example of how you might explain explain it you're kind of saying expected goals without saying yeah. something that they don't really understand okay. so a question from the analytics community um, which is obviously a community that was quite sceptical about West Ham last season yeah. in the same way they were sceptical about Swansea say in 2014-15 mm-hmm. um, Colin Trainer asked were you guys aware of that um, I know that Joel Salomon who's part of Analyst FC did a video last year that got a lot of stick from West Ham fans mm-hmm. um how aware of your overperformance were you? Uh, I was very aware. Um, and how aware were we as a club? Probably not as aware as we should have been. But I think there was there was an awareness across the board um, to varying degrees. Mine was very strong. I think a lot of other people were very, very low. Um, and, you know, it's just one of those things. And this is where... The teams you very very rarely see teams who are overperforming end up bringing up their underlying level because it's just very very hard one to persuade people that we are overperforming and because no one likes to be told that they're getting lucky and two quite hard to implement change with players I think when things are going so well quite hard the communication to them and the message that sends to them so there's various tricky things around doing it personally I felt like we should have recognised it a lot more and therefore that would have resulted in slightly different changes to the ones that we made but there was definitely an awareness about it it's the how we've gone about it's a fair point you make if you're if the, you're the manager how do you drop players who are yeah. getting good results but yeah. you know their underlying performance yeah. isn't yeah. great how do you and I think it's for, almost impossible and to I think for, for, that, for that to happen it's almost like the whole club and I mean players and all staff need to be aware of this is how we're evaluating performance if we are evaluating performance by underlying chance creation then we can drop players on it but the players have got to know that this is what's forming the evaluation of performance and so unless you kind of frame it initially would that not make them blase about winning for a better term winning games that's what I mean right so I don't think any club is well Brentford did give it a go but I don't think any club is really going to put themselves in that position because they just don't think that's the best way to handle players so it really is a it's a it's a tough situation to handle for a manager um, because even if they do recognise that we're getting lucky dealing with that and acting upon it is difficult hmm. ok um, so we've got asked lots and lots of questions about how how you as a club um, measure um, certain metrics, how you measure certain skills, certain uh, levels of ability in player, both at player level and team level. Obviously, we're not expecting you to give away secrets and whatever else, but if you can give us a little bit of insight about where you're at or where football clubs are at in terms of measuring things like defensive skill in players, it's something that the analytics community has trouble with. 
how, how does so that where do I think we're at where do I think the yeah, I mean, is it, in general? Well, is it, yeah, exactly. I mean, is it something that you leave to, to your scouts to look at because the metrics aren't good enough or have you got metrics that can help or... or yeah, I think, look, in general, I definitely think it's uh, the level of defensive analysis is behind what's going on in attacking sense, which makes perfectly logical sense, both in the ease of what you can do and the process of how the gen- analytics is developed. Um, but I think we made... Uh, I think I've made some... and with some of the guys, computer scientists that are working for us, I think we've made some good progress. Um, and the ability to measure off-ball activity, I do think, has become easier. Okay. Through current uh, through current data providers, so event data, or through TrackAb, have you got access to that? Is that something that you, yeah, your yeah, guys yeah, are using? Yeah, we, we have, in terms of access to data, we have everything that right. we would need. Um, but also, I just think it's a it's a natural progression that you know the more smart minds in working around this stuff and the kind of shared ideas in the community, um, eventually, you know, we're going to start to solve problems that aren't weren't solvable before. How how in touch with the sort of blogging community are you? Uh, first of all, and then secondly, how? How far behind or ahead in some some ways are the the blogging community? What have you seen out there publicly that is? Oh, I've seen some amazing stuff. Yeah, I'm very in, in touch with it, and you know, read a lot and uh, kind of know what's going on and know the level of work that's going on. I think a lot of it is very, very, very impressive, and that's why I think. Whilst look, a lot of guys and you know, I sit down with some of the you know modelers that I've met and. They keep telling me that oh, you know we've barely even scratched the surface of what we could do with this stuff, and I believe them. I definitely think there's no, there's infinite the level of detail this is going to be able to produce. But in terms of the quality of the work, I think right now you know, I wouldn't say that is a, that's the problem holding analytics back at all, because I think the quality, from what I can see, is very very good. And the challenge is more. I know it sounds same old cliche, but it's penetrating the industry. Yeah. So I don't know some some uh, some of the guys out there who are doing this work. It'd be interesting probably for them to know, not necessarily from West Ham's point of view, because obviously you guys are, are, are integrating this, you're using it. Um, how, how close are they to doing work which would be better than a club was doing? How, how valuable are they as individuals for, for this? Clubs? So we're just talking about various bloggers? Yeah, yeah. I think most of them would be ahead of, ahead of what's going on in a club. Oh, really? Yeah, for sure. So if a club were to go to a, a blogger and say, look, we can... Yeah. We, we, we would usually they wouldn't come into the club thinking oh wow this is way ahead you know no, no, it's way no, above no, what no, I can no. do no and that's what that's the, the approach I've taken is, you know, we try to outsource work and have that yeah. okay um, odd question for you it's one that pops up on on Twitter a lot uh, arguments between uh, between bloggers um, do you believe in finishing skill firstly that's an odd question I think that's an odd question anyway you might yes, not think that's an odd is, question yes the answer I do Okay, um, the reason we ask that is some some analysts don't think there's such a thing as, yeah. as finishing skill, and if obviously your answer is you do think so, how do you evaluate that? How do you sort so of? So I think when noise? I mean I don't know I might be wrong, but you have to ask them. When analysts say they don't believe in it, I I more think it's just it makes it a lot easier for you to make predictions if you just assume finishing skill as even across the board, right? Yeah, and then it just makes. It just means your expected goals number can just be expected goals number. It's very, very easy to generate. Um, how do you evaluate it? A uh, num- number of ways. Uh, there's obviously, and you all know about this, as you know, 
very high attention to detail coach, but there's a number of ways when you look very closely at how a player strikes a ball. Um, so the analytics, yes, can you look at stuff around uh, you know grouping foot head area of the foot that he's using, blah 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 blah. But then of course I really think the real attention to detail of like actually watching a player and how they strike a ball is 100%. You know, gives you there is look they're not all the same. Yeah. That way. yeah, I think for a lot of analysts, it's that it's so hard to prove yeah. that there's finishing skill because conversion is just so streaky. Yeah, and yeah, you can yeah. look at stuff like, say, you had one expected goals model that included the information after the shot, so where it goes on the goal. Yeah, yeah. And you had one model that didn't, and you took that from the other model, you would have the excess as a loose proxy yeah, 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 yeah. for finishing skill. And um, I've done some stuff that suggests that that's repeatable. Yeah. But it's just proving. It's like psychological confidence that might exist it's just it's so difficult statistically yeah, so for sure, yeah. to prove that because right. we know psychology is a part of football we know it's a part of being an athlete yeah. and also I think the football and analytic football is always always going to have the challenge of uh, the length of the career of the players and how few how few data points or sorry significant data points we may be meaning things that change the scoreboard we have the, like sample size is always going to be an issue over these things and if you are grouping finishing skill into loads of different categories and you are looking at air, particular areas of the foot you know I mean it's I, it, will, it will be very 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 difficult to get something that has genuine predictive utility just using analytics alone yeah especially because so, things like basketball if they're doing power analysis the amount yeah. of shots that they have yeah, exactly. it's yeah. just a huge advantage but no completely believe in it it's just how you, know, how you go about evaluating the challenge I think there is that is, that is where that kind of stuff is where I think very, very, very good coaching is required for a start to improve finishing skill, right? Um, you know, I don't think the, the more clubs should be improving, you know, the, sort of the teams to be at the top level that is kind of presumed that a player can't be improved and all the kind of coaching is basically in presentations around task analysis and you don't see much at Premier League football grounds with like just basically a technical coach working on genuine technique that, you know, Finishing would be a you know an ideal one, and I guess analysts say if they say that finishing skill doesn't exist, they say that finishing can't be improved, don't they? Yeah, now, that sounds pretty ridiculous. <laughs> well, the whole concept for me would be ridiculous <laughs> because it's another yeah, like you say, it's another skill. It's yeah, like yeah. saying passing can't be improved, yeah. crossing can't be improved. Okay, um, another question from from one of the followers uh, from Matt Ryan. Um, he says that is. Is there a hesitancy by Premier League clubs to scout um, to scout or do business with certain leagues? Like, for example, the example he gives is Scotland, but there could be all sorts of examples. And then, sort of on top of that, how do you quantify how a player will do in the Premier League based on yeah. their level of, of league? I think the, in answer to the first question, yes, there is. Uh, I think the Premier League, and this may come down to, again, a lot of the clubs just unwilling to take major risks over certain things because the... Uh, fallout if it goes wrong can be so big and I think that what most Premier League clubs are kind of doing this is definitely at the top end is and in fact Mane is a very very good example right now I would have just taken Mane if I was Real Madrid from Salzburg right but all the big clubs were kind of like right we're not going to quite go from now we'll let him go to Southampton Everton West Ham if he does it there well then his next step is to go to one of the big clubs you know so I think a lot so those leagues that bracket league you know and Austria is you know for sure probably on the higher end of this group of leagues that I think Premier League clubs will say, right, 
we're not going to take the punt on him yet. We'll wait for him to go to some to a level that's more comparable to us, and then if he can do it there, then okay. so they just they just I think Premier League clubs they're reluctant to go take that huge the what they will see. I might I might not see it like this way, but the huge gamble, and you know they'd rather go right. We'll have them, they'll take the second step gamble, which is after he's done it, just to level up. So would you base? So you'd, you'd say basing it on league strength. What if there's a player who's absolutely dominating a league which is well below... Yeah, I, mean, look, I, don't, I don't necessarily agree, agree with a lot right. of this, but I'm saying that's the general mindset of a lot of Premier League clubs, I think. It's like, if, if, they, if they see the level he's playing at as such a significant drop-off, it's right. He'll probably... Look, he's inevitably going to go up a level. We're probably going to wait for him to go up one level and then, then take the gamble, is the mindset. And then in answer to the second question, which was about how do you how do you quantify uh, how, you how a, you know how a player will do in the Premier League yeah, based off the club, the league engine? Obviously, still the biggest challenge that everyone working in under six is facing. Um, I've got ways actually, you know, and I'm happy, but the betting markets are very, very good for a lot of things. And if you do take the presumption that the uh, betting markets are correct at kick off, right? then Champions League and Europa League pre-match betting odds are a lot better indication of the quality of leagues than people think. Okay. And another thing that you can look at is the replication of output. I mean, you have yeah. a problem in terms of sample size, but like if you look at championship strikers who come to the Premier League, yeah, 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 they tend to only have about yeah. 80% of the shots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you can you know, you do all of that, and then you've got... You know, you do, it is good to have local inside information about the general culture of these... You know, the general culture of the football in the country and the training in the country and suitability is coming to England all of that stuff you can do um, and I think the betting markets is another, another tool you can just add on to that that does really help to evaluating league strength does start of play come into it I, mean, sure. I, won't, I won't mention what manager I was speaking to but it was a championship um, manager who essentially said he had two centre-halves who when he came to the club were World Cup centre-halves they mm. were or, you know European Cup centre-halves um, they were internationals very very good players can play in the Premier League no problem but he said essentially the style of play in the Championship they weren't them, yeah. that they weren't good I enough think, to cope I think, with I that I also think Brentford will be very open about why they feel that the real analytics approach didn't quite work as they intended I think they slightly uh, underestimated the um, well, sorry overestimated the suitability of a lot of players the Championship therefore underestimating the specific needs for playing in the championship I think the style of play is one you know suitability is style of play suitability is the training you know have they, have they trained in the same culture have they and I mean that as in like the internal performance culture yeah. you know how the, how the physios work how the sports science work you know just not off the head but like all of these things do have an impact around suitability of course they do okay so uh Question from um, Ravi Mystery. Um, he says, how is analytics used for younger players? Is data used to decide whether a player needs another loan rather than giving, giving him first-team opportunity? Is that something that's done? Is the data there for that? Uh, I think the, the... Well, by definition, the data is there because the data is there to evaluate the player. Therefore, the data is there to evaluate the player the level is at. Sorry, the level the player is at. And the data is there to evaluate the suitability of a player to certain other teams, which, by the way, not enough clubs are doing this around the players they loan out. There is too much just about who, let's see, will take them. You know, which teams play in which ways, 
what do we want the player to develop when we go? Where is he likely to do that? All that kind of stuff. I don't think enough scale being done in the Premier League around that. Um, so by definition, yes, I think it is you know, possible and should be done to evaluate whether a player needs another loan. Okay. Um, in terms of kind of where analytics is is going, we we, we had a we asked a similar question to to Rennie Marriage, um, the coach at Red Bull Salzburg last week on on the podcast. Um, the basic gist was if you were to set up your department, so recruitment, mm-hmm. if you were to set up your department at uh, a club, what would be the first thing you do? What would be the most important thing you do in terms of setting it up? Um, he he threw in a bit of a um, a bit of spanner into the works and said, "Well, what club are you talking about?" Yeah, so yeah, we, yeah. so two scenarios for you: yeah, yeah. Champions League club, rich, loads of resources; League One club, hardly any resources. Uh, what would you set up at those? At those, in those well, I think the oh look, the structure and the detail might be different at both clubs, but I think the same underpinning mindset would be so the out of the same mindset and strategy of both. I think why the real problem in what is happening around the use of data in football and around the use of analysis in general is that it's basically just seen as another add-on to our analysis, right? It's, yeah, we've got scouts over here, we've got video, and then we've got analytics, right? So it's just another, another box. And, and as I said, that leads to all the issues about drip-feeding information and can you really influence and et cetera, et cetera. But I think for it to really work, and that's why it probably isn't working the way it should, right? But for it to really work, the club need to adopt a strategic approach that is driven by analytics, right? And I'm talking on the performance side. So, and therefore, the club needs to be very clear about what their objective is, and this does probably have to come right from the top, I mean, ownership level, right? The club needs to be very clear about what their objective is. And this is where analytics can actually start to have a real impact, because... You basically say, right, what's our objective? Now, let's just say we're taking a club in, you know, let's take a, take a club that wants to qualify for the Champions League in five years, right? Well, that's our objective. Now, you've got to start to build a picture of what that actually looks like. Like, what are we going to have to look like as a team in five years if we're going to be top four in the Premier League, right? So, And then we can use analytics to start to make loads of predictions about where football's going to be in five years. And then, obviously, you know, the team is going to have to to finish in the top four is probably going to have to get a certain number of points or expected points therefore a certain number of expected goals or expect, you know, goals or a certain number of goals conceded and then we work back about chance quality and how and everything just kind of flows from there but until you get that first overhanging strategic insight that is that is governing how you reach your objective it's never ever going to be fully effective so that is what I do is I would have the objective is being We've got an objective. How we get there, we've got we've got what we need. We've got what it looks like, and that is governed by analytics. We've then got how we get there, and that is drilling down into the analytics. And eventually, every single thing should become measurable in theory. But so that's what I do at both clubs. Okay. Now the I don't know the Champions League club just naturally with the budget you can you're just gonna have more money and you can throw more and have more attention to detail and look at more innovative techniques than you would at the League One club. But I just think that would be ninety five percent of the battle for me, be implementing that uh, that kind of uh, the leading strategy and that would be the same at both clubs. Okay. Is I mean you know you know Matthew Benham um, well, is that 
Is that what they've had a crack at? Uh, I think so. I mean, you know, I, I, I wouldn't be able to sit across the table from anyone. And Matthew's a very smart guy. I wouldn't be able to sit across the table from anyone and they'd say to me, so that's just rubbish. I mean, it's just, it's very, very logical, really. Yeah. You know, it's like, you're not ever going to be able to really, really maximise the use of something unless it's properly integrated into the club strategy. So, um, so I would guess that yeah, knowing you know that he's very smart and his background, and I would presume that's how they've gone about it. Okay, so at the moment you'd say that most clubs use it as a tool rather than integrated as part of the whole project. Is that right? Yeah, it's, it's more as a supplementary tool rather than integrated and overseeing, if you like, you know, leading. Okay, interesting. Um. In terms of where analytics will be, so that's the ideal, isn't it, in terms of how, to, how you want yeah. to structure it, where do you think it actually will be in, say, five years' time? Will it, well, will it be a, a, an integrated well, model, or do you think it will just be... I don't know about five years, I don't know how long it's going to take, but given that that, in my mind, makes very logical sense about how it should work, that, and it should be that naturally over time because that's what happens in time, that the communication between football analytics improves on both sides and that the proof of success of analytical work becomes more you know, widely known. You would think that eventually it will get there. It should do, logically. How long that will take, I don't know. Uh, probably longer than everyone listening to this would like it to. Um, probably longer than I'd like it to. But it, it should get there. And I actually think that it won't go to kind of like radically different places. It will just be a slow step up to getting there. You know, it'll become more and more integrated and more and more used. And, you know, I think that depends on the communication between parties and, you know, the proof of success of some of the work. Okay. Um, so turning back to, back to you, one of the, one of the questions that we, that we were asked... Uh, we we posted your Telegraph interview on on the, uh, yeah. on the on the Twitter account, and a few of the, the a few of our followers read that, and, and then got back to us with questions after having read that. Mm-hmm. Um, one of our followers, um, Daniel Ood, asked, um, "Are you still unsure about becoming a manager yourself?" Um, and if I can add to that, do you think that there'll be more of an influx of managers who come from uh, from your type of background, um, from the analytics side, or from the recruitment side, either either way? Um, on the first one I mean when I first started coaching working football yeah I definitely 100% had the ambition back in my mind that I might one day want to be a manager Um, rather pessimistically I'd say my experience in football up to now has probably drawn me slightly less to it one not actually probably that's probably unfair not less to the actual goal but more beginning to see it as less realistic than I might have initially thought but that naive when you get into things and but you know of course it would still be something I would love to do and coming back to what I said about poker and poker being about making decisions under pressure using perfect information I can't think of more apt way to describe the job of football manager (laughs) so um, uh, do I think there'll be more coming across look I think uh, There should be because you know, the support staff around football clubs have 
changed and grown. So, whereas before it was you know, when clubs only had manager, assistant manager, and a kit man, well, it was quite obvious that all the all the, all the future managers were going to be ex-players because no one else working for actually did anything right apart from play football. So I think there should be, and then you will get people who come across, who go across from sports science, from analytics, from video analysis, from, you know, wherever. Um, but I don't think it will be as, you know, I mean, so I've heard some people say that the ex-playing manager won't be around in 15 years. I don't believe any of that. I think it's, it's rubbish. Okay. I mean, we. I mean, one example. Well, the only example I can think of coming from, and it's not really an analytics background, it's a performance analysis background, is Andre Villas Boas. He's mm-hmm. the only one who's really made that jump in terms of the Premier League. Yeah. But you'd see a diversity of, of managers at some point. That's what I mean. I think you just see you just see a bigger diversity. You just yeah. see because you know you look at you know guys that are working in Premier League clubs and any particular job they're working there, they're obviously learning about what it might take to be a manager or what it might take to be a system manager. Just just by definition of being around them and you know seeing what it takes and dealing with players and you know because and so yeah there should there should be a diversification and also you know I do think that the you know everyone has to accept that the, the role of the manager has changed and I mean I don't mean just mean that internally but almost like the big clubs are seeing themselves they're brands that have a value and they have a sponsorship value and you know how the manager carries himself in press conferences and in certain situations is all part of that you know so I just think there's a there's a diversification of the number of people number and type of people working in football and naturally that will lead to a diversification of the senior positions in football if you take managers being that um, and also there's a diversification of you know the skill set of a manager that will be suited, therefore that will be suited to lots of different types of people. Yeah, so quick fire questions on transfers from the latest window. So just good, no worse than bad, no worse than Independent of prices, just okay. would you have signed them, would um, have signed them if you were the club, club that signed them? Okay, so, so first, we're just going yes or no? Yeah. Well, you can add you, to yeah, that. You yeah, you want to feel free to Okay, all right. So we'll start with Jordan Ibe, Bournemouth. Uh, yes, but I'd be for for very mixed mixed reasons. So it wouldn't be, you know. I think there's there there'd be strong arguments for both, but I'd lean lean towards yes because of the upside of his future potential. Okay, good. Uh, Jack Wiltshire, Bournemouth. No. Okay. Won't say why. <laughs> uh, Christian Benteke, Palace. No. Really, that's a surprise. Oh, hang on. We said irrelevant price, didn't we? Irrelevant of price, yeah. Irrelevant of price. Oh, irrelevant of price, yeah. yeah, yeah. Right. Okay. But with price included, you wouldn't? No, with price included, I wouldn't, no. Um, Benteke, I think Benteke is very good, but he's one of the centre forwards who are very, very dependent around the style of the player of the team. Yeah, definitely. And uh, therefore, his fit is better for certain clubs than it is for others. Okay, but not for Palace, you think? No, it's not, it's not terrible for Palace. Just right. not quite ideal. Okay. And for that money, I thought they could have got someone probably. So. Fair enough. Uh, Yannick Balassi, Everton. Uh, irrelevant price again, yeah. Yeah, I think Balassi's one where the price means that I would say no. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, but yes. Uh, here's an interesting one for you. Oliver Burke. For Leipzig? Mm-hmm. Yes, definitely. Right, okay. Yeah. And then Leipzig's an interesting one as well, because I take him for sure 100% as a player anyway, but also he can, now there's a club that probably is running, being run quite strategically. 
he completely fits the profile of the players that they're looking to bring in, what they're looking to do. Uh, so yes. And the coach said when they brought him in that he was a fantastic, like physical player, aptitude wise, but he had no tactical hard drive. Yeah. So that experience, they can probably turn him into. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's what they're looking to do. Player. They're looking yeah. to sign players that are manual. Uh, Lucas Perez, Arsenal. No, because it's Arsenal. I mean, good player. Uh, I'd take him here, definitely. Um, but I have my own view about what Arsenal, again, what their strategy needed to be and who they needed to go and sign to do that. And I don't think he's quite that. Okay. Uh, Musa, Leicester? Uh, good player, but the, what I would say about the players coming from Russia would be we won't quite know whether or not he'll be good because his adjustment will be longer and also we won't actually know whether he's able to adjust because we, there's so many there's so much different he'll just be used to he'll be used to a very 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 different football culture so whether he has the personality and ability to adjust that's worth the wait and see so I hold judgment uh, Hodgeberg Southampton yes ok interesting yeah. one that you like yeah ok He's a favourite of Pep as well. Yeah. Um, like Pep Confidential is just yeah. uh, Marty Perrineau recounting how much Pep loved Hodgeberg. We couldn't quite fit him into the first team role. Llorente, uh, Swansea. No. Really? Yeah. Even for Swansea? You don't yeah. think it's a good move for them in terms of having a... No. No? Okay. What about Boya Baston? No, Boya Baston, uh, I think he's going to struggle with suitability to the league big time. Okay. Um... Uh, Isaac Success at Watford? Yeah. Okay, interesting. Yeah. Again, we're a bit with the eye was in like, you know, reserve judgment, but I'll, I'll take the gamble on the upside, definitely. Okay. Uh, and finally, Joe Allen, Stoke. Don't hate it. Don't hate it. Don't never ever gonna fall in love with it. Uh, I think it's fine. Does he fit Stoke? I mean, they're struggling at the moment, so, you know. People might say that it's not working, but in terms of a long term, does he does he fit Mark Hughes and Stoke? I don't know what the long term plan there is. Well, actually, no, you probably do. Long term. Yeah, I think he's not. He's definitely he definitely doesn't not fit it. Right. Okay. So I don't think it's terrible. And that was our interview with Rory Campbell, head of technical analysis at West Ham United. We hope you enjoyed listening in. Next time out, we'll be joined by Zarius Desai, first team analyst at Brentford Football Club. In the meantime, you can visit us on Twitter, at AnalyticsFC, or log on to the website, uh, analyticsfc.co.uk. See you next time.